It's a cute little call sound. It is. It is. It's very cute. I just was not expecting it. Oh, okay. Heart, heart rate going down. You're listening to Love Ya, your guided tour through the wide and wonderful world of streaming teen cinema and adult rom-coms. I am your co-host, Martha Sullivan, YA librarian and purveyor of young adult literature. And I'm here, as always, with my co-host. I'm Maren Hagman, uh, adult services librarian and rom-com and romance novel enthusiast. And we are here today to discuss the 2023 movie Love Again, which is not a Netflix original, uh, but it is currently streaming on Netflix. This is a Sony production. Uh, Love Again was written and directed by Jim Struess. Sophie Kramer also has a writing credit on this, but I believe that's because she wrote the book that this movie is based on. Um. It stars Priyanka Chopra Jones as Mira Ray, Sam Hewen as Rob Burns, Celine Dion as Celine Dion, uh, Sophia Barclay as Susie Ray, Russell Tovey as Billy Brooks, Lydia West as Lisa Scott, Steve Oram as Richard Hughes, uh, Omid Jalili as Mosin, Nick Jonas as Joel. <laughs> Uh, and some other folks. <laughs> I was I was going down that cast list until we could get to Priyanka to Priyanka Chopra Jones's husband, who has a very funny cameo oh. uh, that we will discuss. And Arinze Keen as John. Just wanted to make sure I got that one. Uh, so Love Again is the story of Mira, who is a children's book illustrator. Uh, whose boyfriend John tragically dies after being hit by a car. Uh, After two years of grieving, uh, she is talking about, um, she's talking to a friend about how he deals with the loss of his partner. uh, And he says, I deal with it by talking to her. And she finds this to be a little too awkward. So she starts texting uh, John, her deceased boyfriend um texting his number which has been reassigned to rob who is a reporter question mark at a new yorker new york magazine type situation i i I got a more like um he starts getting yeah yeah i think there was some focus on music yeah so he he starts getting these texts um and instead of doing Instead of being a real human being about him, he just sort of lets them come uh, and then decides to find out who is sending them in a not weird way at all. Um, The two of them meet and sparks fly. Uh, Meanwhile, in the background, Rob is working on a profile piece of Celine Dion, who is doing her first American tour in a very long time and helps him rediscover how to love or perhaps how to love for the first time. My, my first question for you, Marin, is what's the over under on this movie being written by artificial intelligence? <laughs> um, I don't think it was written by AI. I think it was, um, I, and I know it was based on a book. 
Yeah. Have I, you read the book? I have not. Um, okay. Yeah, I I think that, um, and just taking a quick peek at this director and writer's filmography, it looks like he has never done a rom-com before. Um, and I think that shows, because I, I, I think that um, a lot of... I don't want to say, like, stiltedness. Um, but I, I think he was going for uh, zany Nora Ephron vibes um, and just couldn't quite nail it. Um, and, I, yeah. I wanted... I mean, I don't think this movie was funny or zany enough to really be called a rom-com. Like, yeah, I, I feel, I, I don't know if it was shooting for it, but it definitely, for me, felt like it was landing more on the romantic drama side of the scale. Um, and I think it could have benefited from some more, like, zaniness. Absolutely. <laughs> um, I mean, I think that... I mean, several issues abound. I mean, I think first and foremost, we should not have met her boy. We should not have seen her boyfriend die. Like that, I think right that was, away. That was insane. Yeah. That was insane, right? Yes. Yeah. No, I think that was a terrible decision because like right away it centers or it, it doesn't throw us into her and Rob's story. It It keeps us, you know, it starts us in the past and like if this is truly the story of her overcoming her grief we don't need to see the event it it's at best just wasting time but at worst it, it's still centering that story uh versus her moving forward with rob like it it also and i think my big problem with that is that i the movie so rob is coming from a place where his ex broke up with him like a week before they were supposed to get married mm -hmm. which is very sad but the movie ends up feeling like it's putting those two kinds of grief on the same level and i was very uncomfortable with that yeah i mean yeah like it, it did not seem to understand the distinction between broken up with and killed in front of you um yeah, and I, I think that having us not see it, like, if what we're truly supposed to get here, if the core of this story is supposed to be two people who are mired in their grief, finding a way to move forward with their grief, then we don't, like, then having that comparison doesn't help. Like, if they are supposed to be connecting through... There are different kinds of grief and like being people who are experiencing grief, then like us only seeing what hurt her and also it being such a massively different type of grief um, and obviously much more traumatic. Like the fact that they don't address that head on, it just makes them connecting through grief seem much more implausible and they don't 
connect through their grief. Right. Like, I, I don't feel like that becomes a point of connection for them. Yeah. And in fact, it ends up being what keeps them apart rather than saying, like, mm-hmm. I, I think this movie wants us to believe that, like, these two people are the right people for each other in this moment because they are in grief. But what it actually ends up I think it wants to say that, but then what it actually ends up doing is saying like, oh, well, them going through the grief ends up actually being the roadblock rather than like a point of connection. Because I think that they want us to think that the text messages he is reading, he is relating to because he's in grief. But one, because we spend so much of the movie in the text messages versus them just meeting. And two, I don't... When you are doing a plot device that holds you up for comparison to Tom Hanks's monologue in Sleepless in Seattle, you are not going to win. Like, just don't try. <laughs> it's been done. It's like it has reached its pinnacle. Don't do it. Stay away. Try something new. Like, that plot device of... Oh, I know I'm going to love this person because of how beautifully they speak about their last partner that they're grieving. That only worked for Nora Ephron one time. And I don't know how she pulled it off. And quite frankly, I think Sleepless in Seattle is one of her weakest films. Like, I don't I don't love it the same way other people do for that exact reason. Because I think it's weird to say, ah, yes. I want to bone this person because of how they speak about their dead partner. Weird. Yeah, and I didn't... Because we don't really... So we see him get the text. I don't know. The the texting thing bothered me. Like... What normal human doesn't get that first one and just be like, wrong number? Like, it... And I mean, again, I think here we are meant to believe that, like, he can relate to her grief and therefore he wants to keep hearing from her because he feels like she is going through something similar to what he is going through and he wants to feel seen. Except for the movie does not articulate that well. No, not at all. (laughs) But I think that is meant to be a rationale. And. Yeah, the 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 writing of the text themselves just don't have that secret sauce that's going to let them be this linchpin. Um, I actually I don't think I mean. Again, I guess I'm just going to bring in all the Nora Ephron references. Um, I know it really grosses some people out in You've Got Mail that Tom Hanks uses their correspondence to... Um, he does something pretty similar in You've Got Mail to what Sam does... Or, sorry, Sam Hewen, the actor, not the character, Rob Burns, um, to what the character Rob does if he kind of engineers a meeting um, with Meg Ryan. Um while not being forthcoming that he's the person she's writing to. Um, So I think it is something that has been done of, hey, 
um, I am so desperate to connect with you that I will use underhand devices. But um, it and and I think too that the trope of lie that spirals out of control and ends up having to come back around and be addressed in the third act. Um, I I think that is a very common trope. I mean, there's a whole, uh, you know, there's like whole tropes of like mistaken identities and that kind of stuff. Like that's an old, I'm, I'm struggling to, what is there? There's like a really old rom-com. What is it called? Like, it's set on a boat. Why am I? Oh my gosh. I'm totally blanking on this. But it's the same idea where like the heroine lets the hero think she's this other girl. Anyway, uh, I digress. Point being, I, I think that this, our relationship started under false pretenses, but now I'm in so deep and I can't untangle myself. I think that is actually very common rom-com fair. I think that we have changed. Um and are less accepting of that heightened reality because we know that in the real world it would feel gross. And so I think that, you know, it's a trope that's probably used less commonly. Well, and I think part of part of what the problem with this movie is that because it doesn't feel like a rom-com, I am less willing to accept the rom-com sandbox that it is playing in. Mm. So, like... It doesn't feel heightened enough to right. justify. So, like, if it had leaned harder on the zaniness, then I could, like, accept the, um, the miscommunications a little bit better. Like, they would feel more in context. Yeah, absolutely. Like, if either they had dragged out and had more gags with the, like, phone situation... Um, and then I also feel like this is another place where having the genesis of this be the death of her boyfriend, yes. like th- any zaniness around that situation would then also feel really gross. Yeah, like not because we are actually seeing the death. It it doesn't let us because. I, one thing I understand, this is mostly from listening to uh, Nora McInerney's wonderful podcast, Terrible Things for Asking. Um, she, and, oh, I know what, and her, the whole podcast is about grief. And so one thing I've listen, learned from listening to her podcast is like, we do need to have and hold spaces for humor in grief. So I think that there's something very valid about saying like, hey, here are two people grieving, but also we can put them in funny situations and make them laugh and make them fall in love. Um, and I think that, yeah, because unfortunately so much of this movie, starting with the opening scene, is just us seeing Mira be sad, um, which again, also valid in her grief, but it doesn't, well, for sure. it doesn't have that feeling, though, of... I mean, it feels much more, like you said, like a, a, a romantic drama where it's not, it's not incorporating her grief into this humorous premise. It's her grief is at the center and they've tacked on this weird technology thing 
instead of thinking through um how like the technology centerpiece of it can can drive humor and and can make this be a story about humor within grieving um and falling in love within grieving and instead like the grief is just centered which is fine but that is not I don't think this movie realizes that's what it is I think this movie, and that's why, I mean, the Celine Dion scenes were so great, but they also were jarring because suddenly you do have rom-com energy and rom-com heightened reality. And oh my gosh, I ate it up. I thought it was so much fun. But the rest of the movie is not that. <laughs> so let us, let us talk about Celine for a minute. And I, I want to preface this by saying, obviously she is perfect. Oh my God. However... However, <laughs> her relationship with her husband was so weird and suspect. Yeah. It, it really, like, I feel like that's kind of the thing that we don't talk about when we talk about Celine Dion. Yep. So, like, having, having her be up front and center talking about, like, your soulmate and like destiny and the one for you. I'm like, girl, you met your husband when you were 12 well, and, and he was up, 35. And her being upfront about like, oh yeah, one night I like kissed Renee and I never thought about him that way. And it was like, yes, girl, because he was so much older than you and also your manager and also married. <laughs> yeah. So it was just like, is this really, was this really the person for yeah. this i mean the energy was and impeccable though i did kind of have oh, no, to she was turn my brain off at that part <laughs> no she was great and so fun and i really did love her being like you very small man you don't know what you're talking <laughs> about like having having someone having a man be dressed down by celine dion is honestly something that i want in every movie <laughs> It was just one of those things where I was, yeah. it was just one of many things in this movie where I was like, someone did not think this through. Yeah. Like, I mean, they this just, may be another pass. They, oh, they just didn't have to mention it. Like, just don't bring it up. Like, no, just like have her talk about her music. Yeah. And yeah. Or just even like not name her husband, you know, <laughs> like. Oh. So yeah, that, and again, I struggle because she's great. She sounds great. She's amazing. And that is so weird. And that whole thing was just very like, my love, this is, this is grooming behavior. Yeah. What is happening here? Um, I also could talk for about 12 years about Nick Jonas's cameo oh, in this movie. So good. <laughs> who plays who plays Priyanka Chopra Jones's first and only Bumble date? <laughs> um which I yes, I thought he was very funny as the sort of Gen Z or um like 
Yeah, the the point when when she realizes or when they both realize that they're not going to have sex and he's like, all right, who's next? Yeah. (laughs) yeah. Who am I going to (laughs) call? Yeah. He's like, oh, okay, moving on to the next one. I both understood. I I understood both of them in that moment. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, that was a very great, like, playing off of image. And also, it felt very true, because I think there's a bit of an age difference between the two of them. I think she is a few years older than that he is. That sounds right. Yeah, that so, does sound so right. So I could also, like, it's not it's not a huge gap, but I could also see, like, it, it felt like a, a kind of a fun um, acknowledgement of, like, oh, this, this also feels real to how those two people would be interacting with a dating app. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But yeah, it definitely had, like, Chris Hemsworth in Ghostbusters energy of just like, I'm going to play with my image here. Well, and I'm not familiar enough with him to kind of know what his image is. I just know him as Mr. Priyanka Chopra. So (laughs) I mean, um, pop star. It was just, it was just delightful to see him pop up in that capacity. Yeah. Yeah. That was great. They must've had a very fun day on set. Although I understand uh, life in the, the Jonas family is, is not great right now. But they must have had a very fun day. They, they seem to be doing okay. They seem to be doing okay. I'll be honest. Uh, between the two of them, I would bet have bet on uh, Priyanka and Nick breaking up before Joe and Sophie. <laughs> Womp bomb. Well, that was, that was such a very much like, she doesn't need this. Why is she here? It was confusing enough to make me think that there may be some, like, actual affection happening there. Yeah, yeah. Because Priyanka is essentially Bollywood royalty. It's very weird that she is, like, here. Yeah. Um, I thought she was great. Yeah. I thought she and Sam Heon were great. I mean, um, I think that's part of the shame of this movie is because it, like, gets so bogged down in the first half with, like, all of the texts and all of the, like, angst. Like, you don't actually get to see them interact, which once it happens is great. And I don't know how you would cast for that type of chemistry and then not use it throughout your film. Yeah, it's very much, and we have seen this before, it was a movie's conceit getting in the way of its goals, mm-hmm. I think. Mm-hmm. Like, if they're if they're very dedicated to this conceit of she is inadvertently texting him and he is kind of falling in love with her through these words, like, I can see from a script writing standpoint where it's like, well, this is the, like, this is the device but it's also so one-sided. Right. We almost needed more of them interacting outside the text. Again, bringing it back to, to Nora, to You've Got Mail. Like, part of the thrill of that movie is we hear them writing to each other, but then we also get to see them interact. Yeah, and I think I think the premise here is flawed like i think if this was the if this was the jumping off point they wanted to use i think they should have used it and then ditched it really quick yes like 
had him be like, I'm so sorry. Like, like have him text her back. Be like, yes. I'm so sorry. I don't know who this is. And like kind of reveal the misunderstanding right away. I mean, and then maybe maybe the conflict because I was thinking you could also have a pretty good conflict with the um like him setting her up for the Celine Dion connection and her getting pissed about that. I feel like there were other things they could have used to um create the like the second act um or the third act conflict. But I'm, like use the text to get them to meet each other. Exactly. And then just let that sail away. Yeah. I mean, similar to, so I'm watching, okay, Amazon, apparently you're the worst at marketing because they dropped, um, well, okay, get this for dystopian uh, fun time. So the show, so uh, a TV series version of a book I liked very much, The Flat Share by Beth O'Leary, uh, was made well, by- Well, you've talked about that before. Yeah. was made by Paramount Plus. Uh, Paramount Plus uh, does not have it in the U.S. Uh, because they must have sold the rights to Amazon. So Amazon Ooh. Amazon is airing it on its freebie channel, so you have to watch it with ads. Um, and there was no advertising for it. So I, this TV series literal demographic, was not informed uh, that this was happening. Um... Anywho, but I bring that up because I think that uh, that show does this very well where the leads only communicate in post-it notes um, and it's their back and forth where we start to get the sense. I think that you're right that like the back and forth gives us a much better um, like way to see their relationship build. Um and yeah, and I think I'm only on episode three, but that show is doing it really well. Or yeah, you don't, they are not interacting, but um, you see them start to communicate through the post-its. Well, and yeah, and what we, yeah, because what we end up here is a very one-sided view of things. And so then when when Mira gets mad at Rob for keeping this from her, I don't really feel that she should get that she should go back to him. Like he has had more build up to that than she has. So when she's like, "You lied to me about this really big thing," I'm kind of like, "Yeah, girl." <laughs> and I, I should be, I should also be seeing, um. Like, from her perspective, why it is worth forgiving him for this. But I don't think it's weighted correctly. Yeah, and I mean, I think... And also, I'm just like, to- please, child, please, child, go to go to grief counseling. Please. Yeah. Please? Please. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I mean, I think... I did goes- appreciate... Oh, sorry? Oh, I was going to say, I think it just goes back to the fundamental problem of them not having enough time to interact yeah. Um, I did appreciate at the very end when she does go back to him, when she's like, I don't know when I'm going to get over this. I don't know how it's like, I don't know what it's going to look like. I, I appreciated that there was an acknowledgement that like him being there for her doesn't fix her very real grief. 
like I, I, I liked that they kept that acknowledgement that like, this is something that she's probably going to carry with her for the rest of her life. Yeah. And that's okay. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I mean, I think that, I mean, again, it's just like such a weird tonal whiplash. Um, where, yeah, it's like if you guys wanted to make a dramatic film about people who are experiencing grief, work through it. Like, make that film. Don't try to put a rom-com premise on it. Yeah, it's a weird premise for a rom-com. Yeah. Yeah, I think it's just that <laughs> fundamental mismatch. Um, yeah, and I, I think we've cracked it. I think this would work so much better if they start texting back and forth. Yeah, if he just answers her like a normal person. <laughs> yeah. A uh, good cast of secondary characters. Oh, I'm always here for my dude Russell Tovey. I'm uh, And who did he play? Well, he he was one of the coworkers. Um of, okay. of one of Rob's coworkers. He was on the British version of Being Human, which I was a big fan of. Was he the the boss? No, no, he was the one of the the guy who shared the cubicle with him, the kind of okay. neb, the kind of nebbish British dude. Or did he have an American accent yeah. in this? I forget. I don't think British. he was British. Yeah, I think yeah, I don't a, think he's playing British here. Yeah, he must have put on an American accent. Now that I think about it, but my single favorite moment in this movie is when Rob reads one of the texts that is a line from the Orpheus and Eurydice opera and lisa the other co-worker identifies it as that yes and the guy that you're talking about says oh you go to the opera now and she says you don't know my life <laughs> was my favorite moment in the whole movie <laughs> which i mean just to, again it's just like there are moments in here i think what makes it so frustrating is like there are moments of good wacky like little things like that and all the stuff with selena like there is a there is something in there and they just like couldn't crack it well i mean that's what happens when you have chat gpt write your movie script for you <laughs> What would you recommend to our listeners for them to enjoy uh, after they finish watching Love Again? I mean, I thought about this, and listen, I'm not going to overthink this. People, if you want this type of film, just go rewatch Sleepless in Seattle. Like, that is what you want to watch. Like, just... Just go back and watch the classic Meg Ryan and Tom Hanks, Rosie O'Donnell, about Meg Ryan being a little crazy and going on a road trip to Seattle, or not road trip, sorry, flying to Seattle to meet Tom Hanks after she hears him on the radio. It's wild. Uh, that movie is wild. Uh, but yeah, go go watch. If, you, if you're into this premise and you want to see a better version of a similar story, go watch that. Martha, what would you recommend? Uh, I'm going to recommend uh, a Sophie Kinsella novel called I've oh. Got Your Number. Oh, I haven't read that one. 
Oh, it's very fun. So uh, this book is about Poppy, who loses her engagement ring and also her phone. Uh, and in the quest to find them, finds a different phone um, that she decides that she's just going to borrow until she finds her engagement ring. Um, but the guy who owns the phone is not <laughs> super happy about this arrangement. <laughs> um, so it is a true... Uh, comedy of errors as uh, Poppy and Sam, the gentleman whose phone she picks up and sort of adopts, sort of circle around each other as she's also trying to keep things on track with her fiancé, who's a little bit of a bore. Um, and as she gets to know, as they get to know each other, and you know, it, 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 I feel like you kind of know where it's going, but mm. the twists and turns are so excellently plotted uh, that it is worthwhile getting there. Um, I'm always down for a Sophia Kinsella comedy of errors. So my recommendation is I've got your number. Uh, Sophia Kinsella does such good comedy of errors. Honestly, more of her books should be adapted into movies. Right? I feel like she writes she writes very cinematically, and I feel like you could just lift a lot of her dialogue as is. Absolutely. Um, I, um, into some of these projects. I mean, they made that um, uh, version of Can You Keep a Secret that I think is now on Netflix. Um, well, and she wrote Confessions of a Shopaholic, right? Which is a terrible... Like, somebody should do a good movie version of that. <laughs> that was a terrible movie. Um, yeah, and I think those are the only two that have been adapted from her. But yeah, oh my gosh. And actually, I thought the Can You Keep a Secret was pretty good. They they did a good job. They didn't overthink it. And they they let, like, kind of her comedic uh, comedic touch points um, shine. Um, yeah, so that one I would definitely recommend. But yeah, you're absolutely right. They should, I mean, we should have a Undomestic Goddess. We should have a Remember Me. I love the undomestic goddess so oh, yeah. much. Oh yeah, we've talked about this. Yeah. <laughs> uh so on our next episode, we are going to be talking about the 2023 Netflix original You Are So Not Coming to My Bat Mitzvah, which I think will be very different, but I'm ex I'm I'm looking forward to it. I think it looks like a good time. <laughs> uh until then. You can listen to our show on SoundCloud and anywhere else podcasts are catched. You can also listen to our sister show that drops on the same feed on alternating release dates called Did You Do Your Homework? Where uh, Marn's husband Pete and I dissect an artifact of pop culture and uh, look at it from a bit of an academic lens. Um, our last episode was on the works of Edgar Allan Poe because we both got very excited about Netflix's The Fall of the House of Usher. <laughs> and our next episode is going to be on the works of Wes Anderson. So we're going to have some fun with that. Uh, you can find me, or you can find our shows on social media at DYDYH Homework, where our shows share a feed. Uh, you can find me on all the socials at Magical Martha, including uh, mostly Blue Sky and Instagram right now. Um, I have a small but dedicated presence on TikTok and a bit on, where else am I? 
uh, Tumblr. Uh, and Marin, where can people find you? Yeah, folks can find me on Twitter uh, at a underscore star underscore danced, where I mostly tweet about romance novels these days. So if that interests you at all, feel free to give me a follow. Uh, and we will be back in a couple of... Oh, I also write... Uh, sorry, real quick. I also write a newsletter at tinyletter.com backslash magicalmartha. Uh, right now I am... Um, Going back and watching all of the Disney 2D animated canon, uh, I just got through the 70s. Um, taking a bit of a pause on that while I watch horror movies through the month of October. Uh, but keep a lookout for that 80s issue. I think that's really going to be where we start cooking with gas. Oh, boy. Um, it's really the, the nadir all- of uh, Disney. I, but, we, but we end with The Little Mermaid. And that is, uh, that's where we start to get into the movies that, like, are indelible pieces of my DNA. <laughs> yeah. Um, I have, to- I feel like we've talked about this before, but I have told you to watch the, uh, documentary on Disney Plus, Howard. Yes, yeah. I haven't yet, but we have definitely talked about that. Okay, cool. I just needed to make sure I did my due diligence. Absolutely. Um, but yeah, that's going to do it for us. We'll see you in a couple of weeks. And until then, just remember that we love ya. Hooray! Hooray! I mean, looking at the the time count on this episode, I'm not surprised it's a little shorter, because I feel like, yeah, there's not much to disagree about. <laughs> I was going to say, I don't, yeah, there wasn't a whole lot to disagree on. There wasn't a whole lot to cover. I feel like we touched on everything I wanted to touch on. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, there's only so many ways that we can say this movie wasted a lot of opportunities. Absolutely. <laughs>